0: Recently, I was uh, revisiting again in the book of Ezekiel, uh, just the writings and the prophetic writings that are recorded there concerning the temple. In the 46th chapter of Ezekiel, I believe it is. Uh, it's very interesting. The Lord says, during the days of solemn feast, how many? old there were special days when God said, you all got to come together, and there was Passover and Pentecost, tabernacles, and uh, there was. T- there's times when He said, I want everybody, I want my people to come together. And they would come during the days of the temple. They would come to the temple. And they were a time of worship. And he says in Ezekiel 46, it's interesting, Pastor Mike. He said, when you come during the times of solemn feasts for to worship. How many have come to worship? We, We came to worship tonight and to hear the word of God. He said, if anybody comes to worship, if you enter through the north gate, he said, you must leave out of the south gate. And if you enter the south gate, you've got to leave through the north gate. And he said, let no man enter the, leave the gate by which he entered. And you know, for years I've read that. I didn't really have total understanding about that. And I was praying about it. And here's what I heard the Lord say. I'm thinking there's some deep revelation north, north, south. Here's what the Lord said. When I call my people to worship, I don't want them to leave the same way they came. So, my God, yep, I want them. If they come to encounter me, they come in one way, but they leave another way. Come on, you come in discouraged, you leave encouraged. You come in through the the gate of despair, but you're going to leave through the gate of victory. Something's wrong with a church if you enter and leave the same way you came in. Because more than anything else, the Holy Spirit is in the life-transforming business. And so I just let there be an expectation. I don't know what the condition was of your spirit when you came, but be prepared to leave different. You might have come empty, but I'm believing by the Word of God, you're going to leave with a deposit. Amen? Yeah. Don't you feel good in Jesus? I, I feel so good. I am just feel good. You know, I'm going to begin a little bit with a story. I was reminded of this uh, recently. When I, you know, growing up in the Bronx, New York, and I uh, was 11 years old when uh, my parents wanted to leave the Bronx, uh, my sister, of course, being five years younger, so we were young, and they, they wanted to provide a better life for us, and so to leave the city life they began to go out further and further and further and further out east on Long Island until we were nearly 80 miles away. And back in the early 70s, boy, I mean, we went from where we lived in the Bronx to a brand-new house built. Everything was new. We were were biking distance from the ocean. It was like they showed me. I'll never forget. I I saw the school I was going to start to go to. I was in middle school at the time. I'd be starting middle school. And, I mean, there were baseball fields and football fields. Everything was a field. And I was like, you know, I was used to playing uh, softball on asphalt, you know, in the public schoolyards of the city. Or we'd have, uh, we'd play fast pitching in with uh, a Spalding, and we would play, you know, with a, with a stickball bat. We'd play stickball. And all this was changing, and I was a sports nut. And I just loved it. And, wow, this is like a kid's dream come true. So, you know, with great enthusiasm, we moved into our house. And one of the first things, and I had my own room. You know, we weren't going to be sharing anymore. And my sister had her own room. And everything was new, new environment. It was a great place to grow up. But one of the first things I wanted in my room, and I guess it was because my friend had it, I don't, I don't recall, was a fish tank. I want this little fish tank. And so there was a pet store not, not far away, and uh, yeah, so my parents said, yeah, you can have a fish tank. So I got like a 10-gallon tank, and I began to, you know, put together this fish tank. And, uh, of course, you have to have the cobalt blue gravel. I mean, you know, I mean, that was the gravel. And then I had put little things, I'm um, creating this little world that was like a, a, a sunken ship. You know, you know, you put those little things and little trees and... I start putting my fish in and had different fish, different colors. And had goldfish, some goldfish. And I'll never forget, as a kid, I would then shut all my lights off and just turn on the light of the tank. And that blue gravel would just illuminate. And and just those gold the goldfish, I mean, they really stuck out with the way the light was. And I'd just stare into that tank. And I'd look and I enjoyed my little 10-gallon tank. I don't know how long I had it, but... Uh, you know, then I grew out of that, and years and years and years and years later, now I'm married and up in Boston. Uh, Karen and I were pioneering a church, and then we we went away somewhere uh, in New England, and we were going out to eat, and we went away to uh, well, we were eating at a restaurant. When we walked into the lobby of a restaurant, there was like the centerpiece of a major fish tank. You know, I mean, biggie. I, I don't. Even, it could have been a hundred gallon, but big. And it was the centerpiece of the lobby, you know. Man. And I'm looking at this fish tank and it really, and all these fish and different fish. And the goldfish were like this, you know. And I had little goldfish, but they were like this. And I'm looking at it. I'm going up to the tank and I'm like looking what they have there and all this. So I start talking to this guy about the fish, you know. The, wow, look at this tank. Look at these fish. What kind of fish is that? And he had some knowledge about the fish. And I said, you know, I had a fish tank, and I tell him the story. I said, but what kind of goldfish are those? Because, like, you know, mine were this big, and I'm talking and all. He goes, oh, they're the same kind. No, no, I said, what do you mean? Yeah, he said, no, no. He said, the reason yours was small is because they were in a 10-gallon tank. If you would have put those goldfish in this tank, they would have tripled in size. And he said, because of the constriction of, of, of oxygen. It, they don't know exactly how, but it literally inhibits and it retards their growth. So in other words, the size of the tank determined the size of the fish. I said, are you kidding? I didn't realize. I thought it was a whole different species and all this. And not long ago, the Lord brought that to remembrance, and he said this to me. He said that we could believe right as believers and think wrong. And he said, your calling as a prophet and teacher is to smash the tanks that people live in. Because you can believe, yes, by revelation, Jesus is Lord, but you can think small. And you will believe unto eternal life, but your thinking will determine the quality of this life. And he said, and I mean, this really was quite just an understanding. And, And God said, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But yet, the Lord wants to destroy and smash the small tanks our minds are in that cause us to live small Christian lives while we serve a big God. We live these small Christian lives because we have thoughts that keep us Confined to 10-gallon tanks. And the nature of prophetic ministry is to destroy that. And by the word of God, to release vision so that the possibilities of thought, because of what God has provided, because of the goodness of our God, and what His calling is, is to get you out of a 10-gallon tank mentality. And to get into the mentality of God's Word so that you can experience the kind of growth and increase that is needed, not just for growth's sake, but for fruitfulness' sake. Because the more you grow, the more that Father is able to apportion increased responsibility in the kingdom. But if you stay small, He loves you. It has nothing to do with being saved. It has nothing to do with the love of God. It has to do with fruitfulness. It has to do with fruitfulness. So God just was stirring my heart. Here we are at the outset of the new year. And I believe that the Lord wants every one of you to progress into 2017 and not have a 2016 repeat. There are things designated by God for you this year that He wants you to experience, but if you remain in a 2016 mentality, you'll miss it. So through prayer, seeking God, fasting, what have you, I believe that the Lord wants to encourage smash old small thinking so that you can enter the unfolding year With a faith and an expectation that's even greater than what you've known in your life. How many really get a witness to that? You do? Okay. Because no matter what God has provided, you know, we are Pentecostal people. We are people that value the anointing. We know that without the anointing, and the anointing, how many know is not a force, it is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. The anointing is not an it, it is a he. When the Spirit of God, without the anointing, nothing can be accomplished. You know, in the kingdom of God. And so we value the anointing of God. But one of the things we have to understand is there is no deficiency with the Holy Spirit. And yet, if we don't have proper expectation on the anointing, we could limit the possibility of what the Holy Spirit could do because our expectation is small. So really what you need is the connection between the all-sufficiency of the anointing and great expectation. When these two elements come together, that's when you have powerful things that happen. The ministry of the Word, among other things, is for the purpose to keep the expectation of the people high. The ministry of the revealing of God's will, God's desire, the goodness of God, and the ministry of the Word is always to challenge us to keep our expectation high because our experience, our circumstances, and many other things try to minimize our expectation. When Jesus came into his own hometown, it says there, someone say there, there he could do no mighty works. You know, I I read that, it's like, come on, there's got to be a translation problem here. We're talking about the Godhead in the flesh. We're talking about the fullness of the Godhead incarnate. We're talking about, I mean, one that had the spirit without measure and yet he came into a geographic location where the possibility of what he had to offer was minimized in that location it says he could it says that he could do nothing save heal a few sick folk so it was like he couldn't raise the dead there he couldn't heal cancers there you know maybe he could touch a back or two maybe he could maybe heal somebody's insomnia whatever But there was a minimal uh, uh, output. Meanwhile, he wasn't the one that had the problem. The expectation was minimal because they said, wait, isn't he the carpenter? So they had greater faith to receive a new dining room table he can make them than to heal their cancer. Because their point of relation was limited to the revelation of who they knew him to be. So what did he do? He marveled at their unbelief and he went about the villages teaching. Teaching. Because faith comes by hearing. Hearing hearing by the word of God. And so as he allowed the true ministry to come out of him that he was now functioning in, it would then heighten and change the expectation level. That's what the word of God is designed to do. It is through teaching to cause fate to come alive. The possibilities to expand so that you can maximize expectation on God who is the all-sufficient one. And as a result, you don't get stuck living year after year like a little Christian in a little tank. Hallelujah! So how many are ready for your tanks to be smashed? Somebody say, Lord, smash my tank! Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy and the second chapter. Praise the Lord. I'm going to read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1. Three. Then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spake unto me, and we compassed Mount Seir many days. And the Lord said to me, you have gone around this mountain long enough. It's time to turn and go north. Turn to your neighbor and say, this year it's time to turn. The book of Deuteronomy, the last of the first five books written by Moses, it means the law again. Much of what's written in Deuteronomy first appears in Leviticus. But the occasion is Moses is coming to the end of his 40-year time of leaving. He's already laid hands on Joshua. Joshua's going to take the baton. And all of this is, of course, a type of Jesus. Bring, Moses could not bring them in because the law came by Moses. The law cannot bring you into the life of abundance. It takes a Yeshua, the Lord is our salvation, to bring us in. Come on. And so the baton, the law can only take you so far, but then Jesus, Joshua is the Jesus of the Old Testament. That's his Hebrew name. He takes the baton and he brings them in to a fruitful land. Amen? So Moses is really now ready to get off the scene. He has watched a generation die over 40 years, and he's watched desert babies born. Children, a whole new generation, a whole new crop, now, children that were not there at the Red Sea there's only two remaining that were transge- transitional generation, Joshua and Caleb. So they spanned the transition of a generation they were part of the old, and they were able to make it into with the new the new generation never saw the Lord part the Red Sea but God established a Passover meal and he did that for a reason that every year on that date he said you're to have this he called it a service you know you've gotta cook lamb you gotta go through the inspection the reason why is so that when your children ask what mean ye this service mom what are we having lamb again we always have lamb this time in April why you will say to them how the Lord cut off the Red Sea before you. And in other words, you'll rehearse the story of your deliverance because they were not there. So it's important for, to keep the story alive. So parents, I want to encourage you, even though your children need their own encounter, always tell the story of your encounter. Keep the alive. So they would have a knowledge of God. But now a whole new generation is coming. I want you to get the scene. And Moses is speaking now, really not to the fathers that came out, he's speaking to the children that grew up. And the word of the Lord is you're to take a turn because you've gone around this mountain long enough. I want to speak tonight for a few moments at the outset of this year, breaking the cycles of limitation. It's possible to love God. It's possible to worship God. It's possible to be wonderfully filled with the Spirit and yet still have cycles of limitation, mountains you keep revisiting in your life and that is getting in the way of spiritual progress and progress in the will of God and God say I'm telling you I'm speaking prophetically the Lord is saying you have gone around that mountain long enough and he wants to break cyclical bondage things that keep revisiting now listen here's the interesting thing they kept going around the mountain it was the former generation that kept going around the mountain and then they had babies and they gave them the the inheritance of their cyclical bondage. So in other words, the cycles of limitation could be passed on to the next generations. And so as the fathers and mothers kept going around the mountain, and you know when you go around something long enough, what started out as an experience you keep repeating it it eventually becomes a rut now it becomes a well-worn way and it becomes part of who you are and you're going around and you revisit and now you have babies and they're just in that and they're born in your rut and before you know it you've got generational mountains And you've got certain limitations that are imposed upon the generations. They characterize the generations. And God was saying to Moses, I don't want this generation to have a life of going around the same mountains that the former generation. I want to bring a generation into the land of fruitfulness. So I believe that God wants you to receive a vision at the outset of this year that you're to declare war on any cycles of limitation. That you will not bring into 2017 the bondage of 2016. Because there is a principle in God, the way you leave is the way you enter. You can't violate that principle. I've seen it over and over again. I've been involved in pastoral ministry 25 years. Five years as an assistant pastor, 20 years as a senior pastor, and I've seen it again and again and again, and I've seen it also in other churches, that people that leave wrong enter wrong. While they think they're leaving problems behind. Maybe they feel the problem is the pastor. There was an offense. Or the problem was something in the church. There was an offense. They think I'm leaving the problem behind. But if you've got a bad attitude. Oh no you're carrying it with you. You think for a while that you're free. Until something begins to crop up. And there you are. You took the mountain with you into the new experience. It happens in marriages. It happens in relationships. Say this with me. The way I leave is the way I enter. I leave hurt, I enter hurt. I leave offended, I enter offended. I leave without forgiveness, then I enter that way. I leave angry, I enter angry. And that's what I'm talking about. There's a mountain that you could keep revisiting. You're saved, you love God, but you're going gonna to be consigned to a wilderness and a 10-gallon tank. I'll never forget, when we were pastoring in Pennsylvania, okay, after a few years, we had this sister come, and she was coming to the church, and then she was offended by this other sister who would move out prophetically, and she was strong, and she wasn't always the most gracious, you know. Uh, So she gave this sister a word, and the word offended her. So she wanted to make an appointment with me, I didn't know what happened, you know, so I make the appointment, sit down, she said, pastor, she said, you know what, and she started to complain about the church until I found the circumstance, and I've heard this before, you know what, there's no love in this church. And I've heard this before, and I knew immediately, you know, she, something happened, either I did something, something happened, but she was speaking in generalities, Speaking generalities, you know, I don't even feel welcome when I come here. Nobody says hello, and she's, you know, we have a very loving church. I mean, my God, my father, he greets everything that walks in. He, you know, he's a kisser, he's a hugger, and I'm thinking, but she's speaking in generalities, but I knew there had to be something specific. So I just kind of, I felt God gave me a little wisdom. I'm listening, and I'm listening, and she's like building this case on how, You know, yeah, there are gifts here, but we need love. And where the love is, that's where, you know, that's why the church isn't growing. Now she's telling me why our church isn't growing and we've got this deficiency of love. And I'm listening and said, wow, that's really something. I said, you know what? Next week I want to ordain you. She said, really? Yeah, you're going to be the minister of love. Yeah, you're going to be the love minister at Kingdom Life because evidently we need a ministry of love. So we need you to bring that impartation and show us the way. Well, I didn't ordain her and she didn't stay. <laughs> Love moved on, you know. But I know that's, that's kind of a funny story, but it's said. But that happens all the time. It happens all the time. And I, I, don't, I didn't stay in touch with her, but I can guarantee you she's going to have problems because the way she left is going to be the way she entered. So he said, turn. Now, I'm not preaching on turn. But for some of you, the greatest breakthrough is only a turn away. You think you need God to do all these things, and all you need to do is take a turn. Come on. Moses, for 40 years, was in that wilderness desert, leading sheep. He must have felt like a failure every day because when he was a younger man, He wanted to bring deliverance to the children of Israel, and it all backfired. He had to run out into the desert, and he gets a job as as a shepherd. The years, the months turn into years, turns into decades. He's getting older. He's probably feeling like my prime is behind me. He doesn't walk very strong anymore. Now he leans on a stick, leading the same sheep, same smelly sheep, doing the same thing. Every day. Nothing of any dynamic thing happening for years and years and years. And he goes out. Every day is like the day before. And I know he had to be feeling because he was a leader. He's being groomed to lead an empire. And the disposition of a leader, he had to be feeling like a great failure. So he's going out. He gets up, puts on his mantle, puts on his... His, uh, you know, his shepherd's garb goes over, gathers the flock. His life has been on repeat for 40 years. Just repeat. He goes out there. And suddenly as he goes out there, God lights a bush on fire. He sees it. He gets his attention. And it says these words in Exodus 2. He looked, he saw the bush burning, but it wasn't consumed. Something odd was taking place in his life. I call them divine attention getters. Sometimes God will allow something to happen in your life, and it's simply to get your attention. And Moses said, I will now turn to see this great sight. And it says, and when the Lord saw Moses' turn, The Lord said, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground and the rest is history. Out of that burning bush came a divine commission and destiny for the rest of his 40 years. And it was going to involve leading a nation out of bondage. He being to be used of God to fulfill a prophecy to Abraham feeling like a failure, and the key, he simply took a turn, and when he did, his destiny unfolded. I'm telling you, by the word of the Lord, you think all this has to be done in your life? God, you got to move. 2017, you may just have to just take a turn in some area of your life. Just take a turn. I think, of, I think of the Apostle John. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's the last of the living of the original 12. Everybody else has given their life for the gospel. Paul, they chopped off his head. Peter, they crucified upside down. Every one of them spilt their blood as a witness for the gospel. John, they say, was in his 90s. He's on the Isle of Patmos. They put him in boiling oil. He didn't die. He's probably all deformed. But he's still there, his heart is to the churches, he's the father, but he's on Patmos, which means the island of my killing. He doesn't even write, you know, I, John, the apostle. He said, I, John, your companion in tribulation. And here John is on this island of Patmos. He walked with Jesus the longest out of all the apostles because he was the youngest when he started. So he walked the longest. He was the one that laid his head on Jesus' bosom during the Last Supper. He is referred to continually as the the, the apostle whom Jesus loved. So he had a very endearing relationship with Jesus. He knew Jesus. I mean, you know, they probably, if he went to a church, just tell us about Jesus, John. You were there when he rose. You were there when... Uh, When he raised Lazarus from the dead, you were there when he cleansed the leper. Now, you were there when he taught. I mean, he was eyewitness. He was there. And yet, what was waiting for John was the greatest unveiling of the revelation of Jesus. And John, where is it? John said, I heard a voice behind me. And when I turned, someone say "Turn." When I turned to see him that spake unto me and being turned. And I love that. It means that John had to take a turn, but as he was taking a turn, God helped him turn all the way. And when when I turned and being turned, I saw him that spake unto me. And then he begins to expound on the most glorious revelation of Jesus Christ in the midst of the church. And then I, John, saw an open heaven. And I saw one sit upon the throne. And what we have then is 21 chapters of the greatest revelation of Jesus that was always there, but it was simply behind what he was facing. Once the man turned... A whole new revelation of Christ opened up to him. And I'm telling you, boy, I feel this so strong. I mean, this is really not my message, but I feel this so strong. How that the next step for your destiny, the next step for the will of God could be right behind you. You don't need an angel to come and visit you. You just need to turn. Which means stop facing what maybe you've been facing. Maybe the hurt, the sorrow the disappointment. Turn your back on it. And begin to look to the Lord. Start taking a turn and before you know it you're going to see new possibilities. You're going to think new thoughts. And a and whole new thing is going to open up to you and before you know it you're marching out of a 10 gallon situation. You have gone around this mountain long enough. Now, if you and I were there, you know, when that happened, I mean, can you imagine that Red Sea miracle? The Bible said they crossed on dry ground, which means that even the path didn't have a puddle. No mud. No mud, no evidence water was there. God made, made it a desert. In the middle of a river. Oh, come on. And they're like, "Wow!" I mean, they had to be looking at that water. And they're following the old man with the stick. And they said, you know, I'm sure you true." saying, you know, let's move on here, really. Let's just come on. Pick up the pace. You know what I'm saying? And they're just like moving on. They get across. That's half the miracle. Then the Lord says, this day you'll see your enemies no more. So then Pharaoh says, "Wow, that's pretty extraordinary. Come on, guys, let's go." God waits till they're all in, and all of a sudden the waters cave in on them. The horses are washing up dead. You know, Miriam she gets the timbrel. Exodus 15. Now Moses is 80 at least. Uh, Miriam was watching over her brother. She's got to be 90 something. She's the older sister, and she she leads the dance ministry. I mean, come on. Come on. I travel all over. And how many churches? I don't know if you have one here. They have like dance troops, ministry, interpretive dance. And I see these little 18, 20-year-old men. They're twisting their bodies doing this. I'm like hurting when I watch them. You know, let me tell you, a real revival is when grandma leads. I mean, she's hitting the timbrel, all the ladies are dancing, they're singing, God threw the horse and riders into the sea, and they're singing about coming out, going in, what a joyous time. It was a, you talk about a worship service, there wasn't a discouraged heart in the house. I mean, if we were there and said, you know, we'd like to conduct a little church survey. Excuse me. Yes. Uh, listen, you just came through the Red Sea. Oh, man. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. I just have a question to ask you. You think you'll ever doubt God again? Are you crazy? Doubt God? How can I doubt that God? I came over, you know. To, excuse me. Dietrich, do you think you'd ever doubt God again? No way. There's nobody that would think they'd doubt God. But I've read the story three days later three days, three days later, they come into a dry place where there is no water. And the talk is, he brought us out here to kill us. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. This was a setup. He wants to destroy us. And this was the constant condition of the children of Israel. Miracles are great, but they cannot sustain your faith. They cannot sustain your faith. And so here they go, and then they were complaining. The Bible says about that generation, and we need to understand it because it's the rut generation. We need to know what characterized the rut generation because the Bible says everything that happened to them is for our instruction. That means it's possible in the new covenant to have a more glorious covenant and still be in a rut the way they were. Our mountains are not natural mountains, but they're spiritual or emotional mountains. Ours is not a natural journey per se. It is a spiritual journey. But Paul said, I have given you, you need to know about their wanderings, 1 Corinthians 10, and how that they were overthrown in the wilderness, lest any of you be overthrown. Wow. So you can come short of the promise of God that has left you through unbelief. The first thing we need to know is that God said concerning the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 32.20. He said, listen to these words. He said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. For they are a very froward generation. And then listen to this. Children in whom is no faith. Wow. Now, were they children that had miracles? No generation had more miracles than them. Not only the Red Sea, they had room service every day. All they had to do was open up the flap of the tent. And if you had a family of 10, there'd be enough food for 10. And you don't even have to, don't try to keep the leftovers. It'll breed worms. God's got fresh supply every day. Fresh Fresh food every day. And on Friday, he'll give you twice as much. So Saturday, you don't even have to work. You don't even have to open up the tent because it's the Sabbath. Forty years God fed them. Forty years God dressed them. I mean, there wasn't a feeble among, among them. Forty years God preserved them. So they witnessed the miraculous hand of God, the provision of God. But God's commentary, because they kept going around the same mountain... When God judged their travels, he said, they've seen miracles, they've seen my hand, but I conclude they're children of no faith. Children of no faith. And it says in Hebrews three nineteen that seeing that they could not enter in because of unbelief, let us fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come, someone say short. Short. Think about the little goldfish. In other words, if any any of you choose to live in the 10-gallon tank, you'll come short of promises left you. Wow. Wow. Come short of promises left you. I'd like you, if you would, to turn to uh, 1 Timothy 1, 18, 19. The first thing what we need to understand is God's always looking for faith. Nothing honors God more than faith. In fact, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God. And what is faith? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope doesn't mean like, oh man, I hope God does it. Hope means it's a joyful anticipation of something I don't have now. And it's the assurance of things not yet seen. When there is faith that links to a promise, no matter what the circumstance is, God says when you're in a disposition of faith, You cannot be more pleasing to me. And he will not take anything in lieu of faith. You could fast 40 days. But if you don't have faith in your heart, you might as well go eat the biggest steak because God's not pleased with that fasting. Right? No, no. It's the heart of faith. It's the heart that says, I believe you. My circumstances says one thing. But my faith in you says another. Another. My experience of disappointment is trying to cast a shadow on my future. What I can't figure out in my past is trying to reach over my life and trying to cast a shadow on my future so that I would enter my future with the disappointing spirit, disappointment and the discouragement of past days. I don't understand what's back there, but I understand you're a good God. And I understand your word is true. I don't know how, but I believe that spirit of faith pleases God. Now look what it says in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, first Timothy eighteen. This charge I commit unto you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee that by them you might war a good warfare. Holding faith. Turn to your neighbors. say, don't let faith go. go. Holding faith and a good conscience, now watch this, which some having put away concerning faith have made their own lives shipwrecked. Now let me just kind of pull this apart a little bit. The word shipwreck there, tell them I'm busy. Just tell them I'm busy. <laughs> the, the, the word shipwreck here means to go adrift and to become stranded. Think of, I want you to get this picture. To go adrift and to become stranded. Paul is painting a picture. When you let go of faith, You position your own life where the trends of life, like a strong undertow, will take you into destinations and directions God never intended your life to go into. You will start going adrift. You'll adrift into this situation, maybe sin. You will you will drift off the mark because there are strong winds, there are strong currents that if you don't hold on to faith, if you don't hold on to what God said, your life could become a shipwreck testimony. And you end up somewhere in life God never intended. He said, hold on to faith. And if you'll hold on to faith, yes, the winds will come. Yes, there'll be forces that will try to drive you in directions but a man and woman that believes God and believes His Word will endure the winds and you will steady the course and you'll reach the destination of God's purpose. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. He said some have made their own lives. You can bind the devil all you want, but if you let faith go, it's not the devil. It's not the devil. But once I hold, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even I faith. Hallelujah. We walk by faith and not by sight. I've got things in my life to this day that doesn't make sense. I cannot give you an answer as to why this outcome happened and that outcome that I didn't anticipate. I don't know. And I don't have light on it. But it doesn't matter. God Doesn't change. Even when my life doesn't make sense. My faith is not in what I can figure out. I know in whom I have believed. Not what I, in whom I have believed. And he's still good. Even when I can't figure out what happened. He's still a good God. And his word is true. And you've got to come to a point where you say, Come hell or high water, I'm holding on to faith. Wow, that's what it's going to take. Holding on to faith so that your life is not shipwrecked. Hallelujah. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You want to break cycles of limitation? You want to not go around again? They were children of, there was no faith. So every time they ran into a test, guess what? It was the same complaint. Even though it was a different test. Same complaint. They let go of faith. When you do that, guess where you're going? Around the mountain again. Go around again. And after a while, when you go around enough, it becomes a way of life. Now it's integrated into part of your personality. Now it's a bondage, really. And it's strong, and it's strong holes. That's why it's called strong holes. I mean, it's something that's got to be broken. And when it becomes a way of life, and now this is just the way you talk, and now it's the way you think, and guess what? You get little babies, and you start putting that into their spirit. You start putting that into their minds, and they grow up, and guess what? They inherited your rut because now they're walking like you're walking. They've got their own mountains and now you've got generations of all people that are going around mountains and God is saying, enough is enough. You've got to take a turn. I want there to be a generation that comes into their destiny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Glory to God. Yeah. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. I really do. Yeah. You. Yeah. So you need to start this year declaring war on your mountain. Whatever that mountain is. It could be a mountain of perversion. It could be a mountain. Let, let me tell you something. I've met, I've met individuals. I've prayed over the years for deliverance for men and so on and so forth. People that have perversion in their life that became such a mountain. It's not because they don't love God. No, no, no. They love God. But what happened is it became, for whatever reason, when they felt pressure, they went to porno and somebody else goes to the refrigerator. Somebody's got a mountain of food, another person got a mountain of pornography. It's not because they want to turn their back on God. But whatever it was that put the pressure, they found some sense of release. Some sense of temporary satisfaction. Can I talk plain tonight? Come on. We don't want to just have church sermons and be completely irrelevant to the victory that's needed out there. Whatever it is. But it becomes this mountain. And then before you know it, it becomes a bondage. And then the mountain now so looms, you don't really have a vision to get beyond it. You almost consign yourself to it and say, you know what? Then now you start changing. You start changing your belief system about God because you can't feel condemned anymore. So you start saying, He's a God of mercy. Knows my heart, Dietra, And guess what you're... Now, that's dangerous. You are theologically twisting the nature of God. In order to accommodate your mountain, you've recreated who God is according to your bondage. Which will continue to keep God powerless. You'll lose the sight of victory and you'll just want to exist on God's mercy while you continue to live year after year in a existence of powerless existence, no victory. Come on now, is this making sense? So we don't want to change anything to accommodate the mountain. We want to declare war on that mountain and say, we've, we've gone around you long enough. God wants me to turn and make a progress because he's got great things in store so I could be fruitful in the kingdom. So we need faith in God. I don't care how many times you've gone around that mountain. Get up again. A righteous man falls, he getteth up again. Get up again by faith. Don't you change who God is. Don't you make yourself the exception to the rule. Get up again. Get up by faith. If you've got to revisit the altar again, visit it again. But don't concede to the mountain. Believe God. Number two. But, but Number two, I feel like this is a recipe to get rid of mountains breaking cycles, cycles of limitation. Number two, you ready? This is very easy, very easy. Psalm 7811, I'll give you the scripture reference. Psalm 7811, they forgot his works and his wonders which he had shown them. That's the verse. Here's what number two is. Never forget God's testimonies within your life. Never forget God's testimonies in your life. they overcame by what and the word of their testimony not loving their life unto death the word the word there is the spoken word they overcame by the continual telling of their testimony you know when you share with elders what god did in your life i don't know how it'll affect them but you'll get built up again has that ever happened to you yeah Sometimes the way God will deliver you is he'll send somebody who could care less just so he gets you talking about your testimony. And you know what? They'll walk away and say, you know what? I'm delivered. (laughs) I'm the one that needed to be delivered. And God will use your testimony out of your mouth to rescue yourself. Never take those testimonies with you. I've been, uh, this 2017, this October... I will have been saved 39 years, this, this October, 39 years. When I first started serving God, man, faith in God. I mean, there was a major conversion filled with the Holy Ghost. Then I'm led to a church where the preacher is filled with faith. Faith, 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 faith. Environment of faith. For me, there was nothing God couldn't do. And man, I'm serving God six months. I'm ready. I believe God can do anything. And I had faith. 39 years later, you know what I have today? I've got faith and stories. I didn't have stories 39 years ago. But I've got faith and I've got stories. That's right. Because the trying of your faith brings about patience, patience, experience. The next thing, experience hope. Isn't that amazing? Experience speaks about the past, right? That's where you get experience from. But your experiences directly impacts, gives you hope for your future. So you can have faith. You can have patience. That's great. But you need the rest of the recipe for an overcoming life. You're going to need stories. The stories comes out of where I've walked already. But those experiences is so that I would have a sure hope for my future where I haven't walked. And he says, and to give you a hope, this is Romans 5, to give you a hope that needeth not be ashamed. A shameless hope. Why? Because I got faith and I got stories. Hallelujah. Yes. David is going to face Goliath. The challenge is going to be greater than anything he's ever faced. Every aspect of Goliath gives Goliath the advantage. In this fight, the odds coming out of Las Vegas is 100 to 1 Goliath. He's He's called the champion. Is he or is he not? The champion of the Philistines. This is the guy that never lost a battle. This is little David. He's not even qualified to be in the army. Get the picture. But what he did not know, what this champion didn't know, was the little boy had stories. He had a story about a bear. And he had a story about a lion. But when David was living out the stories, he had no idea there would be a Goliath in his future. So I'm sure when he faced the bear, he go, oh my God, Lord. How could you allow this? But i got to deal with this. And he dealt with the bear and he overcame the bear. And it's like, my God, how many know he told that story a lot of times? This little kid overcome a bear and then all of a sudden a lion gets a sheep. And he goes, and before he knows it, he's chasing a lion. He grabs the beard and opens up the mouth and, and all of a sudden kills the lion. Man, what is going on? He had no idea the greatest challenge was already in his future. And God made sure he would send them into the future with faith and stories. Come on. Saul says, David, how could you do this? What did David tell him? I says, I got a bear story. only no, do I have a bear story? The Lord delivered me from the lion. I got a lion story. And I need the testimony of God in my stories to bring to the forefront This Goliath I'm about to face because he's going to be a third story. Oh, you think Rocky 1, Rocky 2? This is going to be David 1, David 2, David 3. This is going to be the full saga of my story. Started with bears and lions and I'm going to have a Goliath edition. Never let go of his testimonies. How many have stories? Stories of provision. Stories of when God really met you, empowered, stories that you know only God brought you through. when you didn't think you can make it through that narrow place. And the Lord met you, and He brought you through. when there was nobody that could provide the answer that you needed that was adequate for the pain you were experiencing. And you thought you were going to die. But somehow, that's behind you now. And now you have the power of a survivor. There's something very powerful about surviving. Come on. Think about it. Have you ever faced something you thought would absolutely swallow you up? Has there been such a disappointment that you thought, I'm going to drown in these waters? And here you stand a survivor yes. by the hand of God. Yes. Really. I mean, It reminds me of Paul in prison following God's prophetic dream. We're to go to Philippi. It seems like everything's unfolding. God directed us and all of a sudden it goes south. He delivers a little girl that has a soothsaying spirit. Next thing you know, These guys are taken under arrest, Paul and Silas. They're tied up, put at the whipping post. Their back is a bloody mess. They take them and thrust them into the inner prison, all while they're trying to do the will of God. And they're back there, their back's bleeding. Now the inner prison was the prison left to die. They're facing something where there are the remains and bones of others that were in this prison that didn't survive. And you yourself have been touched why you know people that didn't survive similar things that you're going through. Everything in the circumstance screams at them, you're not getting out. You're going to die here. Paul and Silas, about midnight, at the darkest time in their experience, they said, well, let's begin to pray. Let's begin to give God praise. That's what we could do. So they begin to do that. You know the story. And God shakes the prison. The Bible says all the doors were open. I used to preach that being the miracle. That's not the miracle. The miracle is this. Rapists were behind those doors. Thieves were behind those doors. Murderers were behind those doors. And with their doors open, they stayed in prison. That was a miracle. Because the jailer saw all the prison doors open, and he thought, we're going to have a massive prison break. He took his dagger to kill himself. Paul says this, do thyself no harm. And I love the next words. We are still here. Somebody say that. I am still Come on, say it like a survivor. I am still here. Say it to the devil, I am still yeah. prophesy it to 2017. I am still yeah. Hallelujah. Woo! <laughs> and then, in short order, the jailer gets saved, and his household gets baptized, and Paul leads them over to Lydia's house, and it was church growth through prison. I mean, it's amazing how God could grow a church, isn't it, brother? It's just, you know, it's amazing. But it was through the power of a survivor. You may not think that you have some great testimony. Don't underestimate the testimony of surviving. When you know that God kept you. And you're still sweet in your spirit. When the circumstance could have made you as bitter as a lemon. When you still have a song you can lend up to the Lord when things in your life does not make sense. You, my friend, are a survivor in Jesus name and that you are a force to be reckoned with in the kingdom of God. Because we have people we're called to minister to that are dying. There is no power of surviving. Kids wanting to commit suicide, cutting themselves. People dying. You think, I don't have any great testimony. I'm not a great soul winner. Be the survivor that God made you to be. And tell the story often. And let them hear how there is a God that could preserve. Come on. Is this all right? Number three. I'm going to leave you with number three. We're talking about what breaking any cycles of limitation. When you get before God this year, I, Pastor Mike, I think you said they're going to be fasting prayer and all of that, congregationally. Just write these notes and let the Lord talk to you about your life. He may reveal to you, hey, there's a mountain He wants to deal with. And believe God that as you consecrate yourself to the Lord, that this mountain's going. And I'm not going to make another lap this year. I'm not going to let, I'm not going to do it. God has too many precious things for me, in store, for this year, for being fruitful in the kingdom. Alright, number three. I'll give you two scriptures. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you, watch this, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief will always cause you to be adrift. And depart from the living God. It's unbelief. It's unbelief. He said, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What this tells me is this. That to break cycles of limitation, I need relationships. It's not just me and Jesus I need to be connected to faith-filled people that know how to exhort me. None of us can do it alone. We need the body. Can you say amen? Go to Philemon chapter 1. Well, there is only one chapter, but go to Philemon verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. Now listen to this. That the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you that's in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you, Life Church, as a family, that there would be effective communication in family talk by the constant acknowledgement of what is on the inside of you that's in Christ. Okay. Sing about it, preach about it, fellowship over it. Let there be a family environment so that you all know how to talk right. You know how to encourage each other. And it's not just focusing on the mountain, but the provision of God that is limitless, celebrating what we have in Christ that is in us, that there should be that kind of effective communication of faith so that the atmosphere is faith-filled, so that individuals come into family gatherings come into a family fellowship that further gives them strength and encouragement to not repeat the same mountain. One of the greatest signs that a church is growing is not necessarily that seats are being filled. You can have a lot of attenders but no growth. The kind of growth is this. When the pulpit is not the only place you're hearing the word. When for the time, Paul writing to the church, when for the time you all ought to be teachers, you have need to be taught again what are the first principles of the doctrine of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, he gave some apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, it goes on, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the stature, the fullness of the measure of Christ, that we be no more children, tossed to and fro like that ship, tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching, but that we would grow up into him, speaking the truth in love. In other words, the sign of a maturing church is that wherever you are, Everybody's a preacher. It, beca- it becomes poor part of your normal expression of Christianity. We talk faith. We talk encouragement. We, ac- we constantly acknowledge not problems we're facing, but the provision of Christ in our life. And in that environment, how many know people could get delivered? So we do have personal responsibilities, but I'm learning more and more and more. It's not, it's a body thing. It's a body thing. And so I want to encourage you as a body. Don't contribute something that would add to the atmosphere of fellowship uh, that would just be, you know, negative in that regard. But make your contribution when you pray for each other, when you speak life to each other. We have to be stewards of environments. You know, we have to be stewards of environments. And the Lord spake unto Moses You have come past this mountain long enough. Take a turn. Stand with me.